Hey everybody, welcome back in to a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. Um, wow, last week's episode was so cool with Matt Pfeiffer. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the episode, he's probably the biggest name that I've I've been able to connect with uh, for this podcast as a guest, and uh, just so so awesome. And um, you know, I said in last week's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about some things that resonated with me, and I. I love his story about like the cracks in his attic and how the bats get in and how he equated that to the cracks that we have as people that allow the narcissist to get in and just like, Oh my God, I wish you could have seen me when I was sitting here. Like my, my brain, like it was like smoke was coming out of my ears. It was such, such a cool episode. And, um, thanks so much, Matt, if you're listening to this, thanks so much for doing that. Um, I think, I think I got a lot of good reactions from that. Um, Speaking of good reactions, so uh, this week I passed 5,000 followers on Instagram and I had the best single week ever for this podcast. So guys, just thank you so much for the support. Like this is really cool. I'm, I'm really having fun doing this. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everybody listening to this. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw from earlier this week, um, I, I started a Twitter and uh, I've been posting my tweets in my stories on Instagram and um, I tweeted that I, I got, I tested positive for COVID. Um, I am vaccinated, uh, but it's kicking my ass a bit. And as I'm recording this right now, I have COVID. Um, maybe you can hear it in my voice or whatever, but um, I, I'm pretty sick and uh it meant that, unfortunately, I had to forfeit the one hour that I have a week with my kids. I was supposed to be seeing them this morning, and I didn't see them because I have COVID. And uh sucks, man. sucks. And um, on top of it, last night, I got a message from the court clerk that they want my trial date for my TRO hearing to be January 31st. So... I went from September 15th for it being filed now to January 31st. Um, I was livid last night when I got that. I messaged my lawyer, told her, this is unacceptable. Let's file the motion. Um, she's all for it. Let's do it. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get it moved up. Um, but as I've mentioned for the last few weeks, that means that I need money to file a motion and... Um, Thank you to those of you who have donated on the GoFundMe page. I really do appreciate it. If you can, guys, I really would appreciate if you could donate. Any amount would help. Go to GoFundMe.com, search Dimming the Gaslight, and I'm there. The link is also in my bio and my Instagram page. Um, but I have to fight for my kids, and um, I, unfortunately, I need money to do that. And um, this is just crazy. This is just crazy. Um so yeah, I didn't see my kids. Yes, I have COVID, um, but there's a really cool guest that I have on the show today. And although I do have COVID, um, this is a story that needs to be told today. So COVID or not, um, I have to man up and do this one because this is a really important episode. And uh, at the end of it, you'll find out why this had to be done today and why this episode is coming out today. Um, the guest that I have with me, her name is Patty. Um, Patty's going to tell us a story about her daughter. Um, but keep in mind, this is the effects of what narcissistic abuse will do. Um, and uh, Patty tro shows such a tremendous amount of strength telling the story. Um, fair warning, it's very triggering. 
uh, it's a sad story. Um, you'll see why. So here we go, guys. Check out this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I have a guest with me today that has a story that I told myself this story needs to be told. Um, and it's very special that we're telling this story today. And um, at the time you're listening to this, you'll figure out why this is important for us to tell. But I have a guest with me today. Her name is Patty. Patty, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. Um, so I have Patty with me here today, and she and I connected through Instagram. And she told me her story. And I got to tell you, I hear a lot of stories a lot of times. And um, this one in particular really had me emotional. And I said, Patty, we got to do your story. So uh, here she is. We're going to go through it. Um, I'm going to give everybody kind of a fair warning like a trigger warning, um, because this is deep and it's emotional, uh, but it needs to be told. So Patty, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So, um, where do you want to get started? You know, um, I'm just gonna really just dive in. And, uh, this, this story is my daughter's, uh, life. I had her at 17. Um, her father was, um, what at the time I didn't know what it was, um, but he was very, you know, charming, very manipulative. Uh, but I didn't know what the manipulating part was because I was so young and naive. Can you, when, can you, can you tell us um, a little bit about, can you give us some examples of manipulative? I was pregnant with her and uh, he went to the mountains with his friends and I wanted to go. They, it, was, it was snowing. And he says, no, you can't, you can't go. You know, you're pregnant. You're going to roll down the, the hill. And it, it hurt my feelings, you know. So he went with the guys that were going in couples and I was left at home pregnant. Yeah, I, can, um, I can relate to that. Okay. You know, I, I didn't see it until after I had her. Uh, the abuse, the abuse and the, the lies uh, started coming. The calling me fat, mm-hmm. uh, calling me that I would, didn't look attractive. Mm-hmm. And so then I ended up leaving him when my daughter was six months old. And, you know, my, I can just say this, I was so naive, but I was really in survivor mode. I, I still knew that I had to co-parent with this guy and I didn't see all the, the red flags like they talk about now. What was and his position on co-parenting when you decided to leave him? He really did not want to be there. He didn't want to co-parent or like what did he no. want, like 100% sole custody or something? No, he didn't want to be there. I think he was really pushed by his mother and his dad. He already had a child at 16. Oh, okay. And that child wasn't around. Uh-huh. And so he didn't want to be there. Here I was. Essentially, it was I wanted my daughter to have both parents involved. And I didn't really realize how detrimental this was going to be in the future for her. I didn't see it. Yeah, that makes sense. So when she was around four, he, I had him arrested. He had beat me up really bad. In front of my daughter. Holy shit. And um, so I called the police. His mother was upset with me. She started calling me all these horrible names in Spanish. Why was she upset with you if he, he beat you up? Because growing up in a, from what I know now, this is what toxic Latino families do. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was just so weird to me, but I felt like I was targeted. It was just the strangest thing. What was your relationship like with his mother? Was it like, was the mother kind of like, my my boy can do no wrong type of thing? 
Yes, not my son. Never yeah. my son. Yeah, I relate to that because my I call her my next, my next's mother. It was weird. She would only, it was like, she could only be the one to devalue my next. You know, my next's mom could be the only person who could devalue my next. Um, but if I said something and it'd be like, hey, you know, she's lying about so-and-so, her mom's like, oh, well, maybe it's you. And I'm like, no, it, okay, whatever. Like, I let a lot of things just slide and let a lot of things go. Yes, and that's what I did. And that's where it was just, I didn't know at the time, but it was gaslighting. You know, I didn't know that. Well, if he, if he beat you up, I don't understand what blame you could take. Like, you didn't ask for the beating. I didn't. All the while, this is going on. My daughter's a child. I never shared this information with her. You know, the thing was, I figured it's not happening to her. It, it's only me. And I just want her to have this nice, you know, relationship with her father. Well, what was her reaction? What was your daughter's reaction to seeing you get beat up? She was too little. Thank God. Like, again, when I said she she was about four, she didn't remember the, that situation. So he had moved out of state, and his whole excuse was because I don't want you throwing me in jail again. I had threatened to call the police again because he had he had this time punched me in the lip because I, I had caught him with another girl. This seems like it's there's no isolated incidents here. This seems like a this seems like a reoccurring theme is yeah. physical violence. Yeah. But it wasn't happening to your daughter, you say? It wasn't happening to my daughter. The whole family through the time, you know, that he had moved to Washington, there was a time that Kim and I didn't talk, and then the family, the uncles, the sister had approached me and said, hey, you know, why don't you let him see his daughter? Is this about child support? And I said, this is nothing about child support. This is just, he moved out of state. That's that's it. So the thing was at that time, because I was so young and naive, I got coerced into letting her go one summer to up to the to Washington State. Mm -hmm. And by then he had already had a girlfriend. She was expecting and my daughter comes back and she was about 6 years old I think at that time and she lets me know, "Mommy, they're talking really badly about you." Saying what? That I don't love her. I don't have time for her because I'm going to school and I'm working. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that's not true. I love you. I'm doing these things for us so then we can have a better life. And Did so she believe it. Did she believe it when they were talking bad about you? I think at the time she knew it wasn't true. But as we got older, it, it changed. Well, I mean, I can I can see from a six year old's point of view if they're sitting there and they're saying, well, you know, daddy's saying something bad about mommy and, um, you know, he's not even trying to be, you know, he's not even trying to cover it up. So, like, I know my kids would have questions. I think any kid would naturally have questions. Yeah. Yeah. And so she did. And I was very honest with her. I always want to be honest with with my daughter as much as I can, I think, but not with the abuse that happened to me. The reason well, being yeah, is there's, yeah. there's certain things you got to shield a kid from. Yeah. So with her, I tried to make it a happy moment when she would tell me they said this or my aunts all got together and they're talking about you and they're saying this. And, you know, I told her this is not pleasant. 
let's go see a movie, let's play Barbies, and I would just make our time together as pleasant as possible. And so playing toys or going to the park or going to the movie theater, that's what we did. When she was about 10, because as she through the years, it, it changed where if she got tired with me, she's like, I want to go with my dad. And, you know, once if she would if she was living with her dad or staying with her dad for the summer, however, she said she would tell him, no, I want to go with my mom. And being a first time mom and again, being very young, I kind of, in a sense, catered to her or I made sure that I wanted her to be happy. But then when around 10, she went for a summer and he didn't send her back. And up until send her back for a whole summer, he didn't send her back after the summer was over. He was scheduled to send her back, I believe, in August and he didn't. And at this time, everything was verbal. Everything was there was nothing set in stone in the courts where I had primary custody. He had secondary custody. There was nothing ever like that. Even there was one time when my daughter was eight where his girlfriend said, you know, we can take her away from you if we want to. Wow. And I said, that's not possible. She says, well, you work. And at the time, his girlfriend didn't work. She did not work at all. And I said, first of all, there's nothing wrong with working. Yeah. Um, I have to work to support my daughter. She's in daycare, you know, and I and I just said, you know what? I'm not having this conversation with you. But that takes um, a lot of nerve of the freaking girlfriend to say something like that. Yeah, definitely. I was just taken back. And so go back to he didn't send her back for a whole summer. So when you went to him and it's like, what's going on? What did he say? He said, because she doesn't want to go back. And I said, that doesn't matter. She has to start school. Well, he says, we already put her in school. What? Yeah. And I said, okay, what school does she go to? He didn't want to disclose that information, but he would talk to my daughter. So it sounds like just part of his master plan. The master plan was he wanted to get set up with his new life. And you were doing the right thing by allowing him to see his daughter during the summer. So when she goes up there, that was part of his plan the whole time was to keep her and kind of reinvent her life absent of you. Yes. Wow. Yes. We would talk, my daughter and I, he would let her talk to me on the phone. And I asked her, so how's school? School's good. What's the name of your school, honey? It's, it's oh, okay, great. So you like your teacher. And so with that information, um, I was able to go to the judge here and petition for custody. And I let them know, you know, that she was kidnapped. Wow. Uh, the judge immediately granted my petition. He got the L.A. district attorneys involved and he flew them out there. The DAs did let me know, hey, we're going out there. We're going to the court. We're going to get the okay to get your daughter. We're going to have to pull her out of school and whatever she has on her back. We're going to have to just take her. And I said, that's fine. But you're going to have to stay out there in a hotel because we're going to have to reunite her with you and then fly back together with her. Okay, that's fine. That that day was hard. That day was hard because she was sitting there so confused and I had to sit there and hug her. I had to sit there and console her and tell her and she was going to miss her friends and everything. And I said, this should have never happened. How long was she there for? So she was supposed to go for a summer, but how long did she end up staying? Eight months. Wow. Eight months. Oh my God. I could imagine you as a parent too. Like, this isn't what I agreed to. This isn't what we we agreed to. I thought I was going to send her over for a summer and she would come back. Yes. Wow. 
So we come back. We had 30 days to appear in court. Uh, we went to mediation. He brings his uncle. I bring my grandma. That shows you how much, you know, I was feeling threatened. I, I bring my grandma. You know, his uncle tells me, you know what I think? And I said, I really don't care what you think. And his uncle's trying to intimidate me before court. And he says, I think he should get full custody. Wow. Um, and I Why said, Why did you say that? Because the uncle. See, the thing with them is they they had this longstanding history of doing things that were not legal. And the, the uncle was the, the the ringleader. So he the uncle always thought had this this idea that he, you know, he could say anything and anybody will move at his at his whim. And he thought that he can threaten me. And I didn't see his uncle that way. I just saw him as just a grimy, horrible person who did things illegally the whole family was that way the whole family was just very manipulative threatening and so that's where I felt like no I'm gonna stand up to this family I'm no this is not right um my daughter in the the process of returning back at that age she had came back with head lice and never you know and I was just like taken back by like she was she came back with shoes that didn't fit her ripped jeans I mean now it's a norm but back then it wasn't it wasn't uh the fashion in her in her teen years this continued and because of the family history of the legal dealings there was times when her father wasn't present he was incarcerated and um the times that she would go visit him in her teen years, he had just gotten out of being incarcerated. She'd go for the summer. He Now at the, with the court order, he was obligated to pay for her trips to Washington State and return her back. I'm surprised was, him being incarcerated didn't influence the judge's decision making in terms of custody. I know. And that's I think it had a, a big part to do with him living out of state. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I just know that it was just so like chaotic at that time and just trying to care for her and, and try to co-parent with this person who I didn't understand what, what the heck was going on. You know, it was just so hard. In her teen years, she attempted suicide. Oh, my God. You know, she had made two attempts um, after returning back from you know, her father's house, uh, one when she was 13 and one she, when she was 16. And it was it was always about the girlfriend had said she attempted what the girlfriend had said. What did she say? She had said that her dad didn't love her. This was more manipulation. At first, when she was younger, it was like, oh, your mom doesn't love you. But now it changes to in her teen years, your dad doesn't love you. Your dad loves your sisters more. And it it hurt my daughter because my daughter didn't see her dad, but she loved her dad. My daughter was bonded with her father. To the point where even with his flaws, even being incarcerated and having seen him hit her mother and she still loved him through all that. Yeah, she loved him and nobody can say anything different to him. Like there was just things that she said as she got older. And, she, and I said, have you talked to your dad about, you know, this? Yeah, but I'm talking to you. And I would I would just try to correct her without trying to make her feel shame it was it was just so so hard because I was trying to dissect what 
you know, this whole relationship with her dad. And it sounds like what you try and do, this is the same as what I try and do with my kids is I, I don't try and pry necessarily, but I do want to get inside. I barely see my kids. So I want to get inside their heads, of what their day to day is like and sort of what she's telling them and, and things like that. And I try not to pry. They just come out and tell me, you know what I mean? And it sounds like you were kind of doing that too, but luckily, I mean, it sounds like her opinion of her father was pretty high. I mean, that's actually, I want my kids to have a high opinion of their mother. You know what I mean? I would never try and separate my kids from their mother, even though I don't think that they're better off with her. I want to know what she's quote unquote feeding them. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And that's, that's pretty much what I try to do with my daughter. That's pretty much what I, the relationship I, I had with my daughter. After that, Brittany, she was, doing therapy and they were giving her uh, medications for her depression. And so she was getting tired of the medicine. It was making her feel stuck, she said. And so she just said, mom, I, I don't like this. And I said, okay, well, let's try other things. I, at the time, you know, worked in vitamin store and I tried herbal things like St. John's Worth or we did meditation, yoga, things like that. Mm-hmm. But then I started to notice that in her high school years that she was getting into fights. She was becoming very defiant. She was truant. Her father was still in the picture in and out and he would call her. There was one particular time that she had gotten a truancy ticket and she had to go to court to take care of it. That particular day I had to work, but I gave her the money to take the metro and she said she was going to take care of it. And then she calls me later that day because I was calling her and I said, I'm home. You're not home. She says, oh, yeah, my dad, he came into town and he told me to take the bus to come see him. He's in the valley. And I said, "Okay, but you were supposed to take care of your responsibility with your truancy ticket. Oh, well, she said it wasn't that important. That's not for him to decide. (laughs) That's what I said. And I said, "Okay, so I get on the phone with him and he makes this asinine uh, comment of, oh, it's okay. She can wear shower shoes. Pretty much implying that if his daughter goes to jail for a truancy ticket, that she can wear shower shoes. What the hell? And I, I was not know what to say to that. I didn't know what to say either. And I was just, I, I had no words. And I, I said, Brittany, I said, you need to get home. I said, you need to get home now or else. When I said, or else, she says, you're kicking me out. And I said, no, I'm not. You're kicking me out. And she totally changed the narrative. She goes, dad. And she's on the phone and she's like, mom's kicking me out. And I said, no, that's not what I said. And then she just hangs up the phone. And it was just like, wow. Right. So she goes to live with him in Washington. She comes back about a year later. How old is she at this age? At this age, she was already, I think, 17. And then she didn't want to go by my rules. I told her, you have to go to school or you have to work, but you can't stay home. And so at this point, her father was incarcerated again. So she went to go live with her aunt about an hour away. So she went to go live with the aunt. The aunt had called me. She had, at the time she was married and she's talking to her husband and she says, you know, she can finish her last senior year here. Um, and that's fine. And, and I said, okay. And then I started to notice my daughter's attitude change. My daughters would ignore my phone calls when I would call to check up on her. 
my daughter would give me an attitude when I would call to see how she was doing. And then her cousins would give me an attitude and, you know, just start yelling on the phone and just being irate and and weird. And I'm sitting there like, what the heck is going on? So let me ask you this. What would you, I'm just sitting here and I'm listening to your story and I'm just thinking, what did you want at this time? What would you have wanted to happen differently? I would have wanted her to be home. And and her dad was causing that wedge in between your relationship and his relationship. And it sounds it sounds like at some point she was taking your side. It sounds like you know when he was incarcerated, he was taking your side, and when he wasn't incarcerated, he was taking her side. And it sounds like there was this big tug of war, you know, for her. Yes, it definitely was. And then in between, um, his family partook in the the crazy, you know. Yeah. And um, so, you know, essentially, you know, she she lived out there. She got her GED. She became a cosmetologist. And then we were estranged for about almost two years. And we had like a passing in our family. And then that's when I reached out to her. I had my my baby back. Mm -hmm. I had my daughter back. And at that time, I was expecting her little sister. And I had met her boyfriend at the time who would later become her husband. Mm -hmm. And a few months after we were getting our relationship back on track, she let me know that she was expecting my granddaughter. And so I was super happy, super, super happy. And And probably her having kids, you know, from everything I understand is when once you have kids, it brings your relationship with your parents that much closer. Yes. And, you know, her boyfriend had announced they were going to get married and he was going to enlist in the army. And so I said, great. You know, I was really excited. Her life, you know, I had my daughter back. I was expecting a grandbaby. You know, all these great things were happening for her. And life was was great. Mm-hmm. There would be moments where she would talk about her childhood and I would tell her, babe, just go to therapy. I was always a big stickler for therapy. You know, it, it doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, one of the things that my kids, we we have, there's anxiety as a normal. But then when she had my granddaughter, that morning, I turn on, um, I get on social media and I see that a Facebook post and it's of her husband and someone else. And, And then that's where I'm like, crap. And I'm getting phone calls from family members. What's going on? I thought her and her husband were good. What is this? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And I call her. And mind you, she just had my granddaughter. And she's like, I know you're calling me about this. And I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, fine. Just breathe. We don't want to talk about it. How's the baby? I had to change it. How far postpartum was she when she saw that Facebook post? She found out through the Facebook post too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he he was already in town, and I want to get my claws on him. Sounds but, like she had some real shitty male figures in her life. Yeah, she did. I, I wish I can say that she didn't, but she did. Yeah. So then, you know, I things happened throughout their, their relationship. It was patchy in that first year. One of the things that I made sure to, to do was to be there for her as much as I could. One time he had gotten deployed, stationed, I don't know what the term is, where they moved to another state and she was missing family. And I said, okay, my husband had flew my daughter and I out there to go visit her for a week. And so it was at 
one of his episodes where he had had put hands on my daughter again. And um, I sat there in the backseat as he's driving and she's in the passenger side with the two girls. And um, I had this conversation and I said, hey, do you go to church? And she's, he says, I don't believe in God. And I said, OK. And I said, I I don't care if you believe in God or not. That's not my, you know, my relationship. But the thing is, you need to believe in something. Allah, Muhammad, the freaking flying spaghetti monster. I don't care because you cannot build a marriage on quicksand. You can you have to have a, a foundation. And what did he say to that? And he just kind of like made this like <laughs> like rolled his eyes. And I said, that's fine. But I, I said my piece. And I said what I had to get off my chest. Then after that trip, about a year later, he calls me that she had attempted to take her life again. This is her and husband, right? This is her husband. Yeah. And she attempted to to drink uh, fluid. I think it was carpet cleaning fluid or something oh rather. God. Because she had caught him cheating with one of the girls in his unit again. Oh and. God. And so that was really hard because I told my daughter that I wanted, I thought it was for her own good to throw in the towel. But she so badly wanted the family that she didn't have growing up. Mm -hmm. She was fighting tooth and nail, even though this guy was just like so horrible, Jerry. She was fighting to give my grandbaby the father and the mother household, you know, that she didn't have. Like she's, yeah, and it sounds like she's trying to numb her own pain at the same time. So she's torn between trying to have the family that she always wanted and numbing her own pain at the same time, which I can relate to. Yeah. And um, at that time, she had um, said, you know what, I'm just going to stick it out, mom. She calls me with, after that time and she says, mom, I'm going to be a correctional officer. And not, mom, what do you think? I'm going to be a correctional officer. No, mom, I'm going to the academy. I'm going to be a correctional officer. And that's what I'm going to do. And I was what made so... Make that decision? Um, I think just being, being around people that worked, you know, that were in the military. And I guess, you know, she had a great group of friends there where she was living on the, on the base. And so I guess... But one of the things, too, about my daughter is that my daughter always was looking for the next step. She was always, I forgot to mention, when she was in high school and she was living with the aunt, she she created, she formed a all-girls punk band. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and it was called Subsequential Truth. I like that. Yeah. Punk band, Subsequential Truth. You know I love my music. Yeah, I love my punk <laughs> music. I like it. I'd go see Subsequential Truth. Oh, my gosh, they were amazing. A bunch of girls rocking out. The mosh pit scared the freaking... <laughs> It sounds like she was always trying to get like being a corrections officer or making a punk band and stuff. Like she tries, like it sounds like she's trying to like improve her life and just like kind of numb her pain and like maybe it's through music, through something. But it sounds like she's trying to make it go away, and I can relate to that too. She was a creative. She was very artistic. I still have notebooks of her poems and drawings and things. I have canvases of hers that it shows that. You know, there's a heart hanging from a cold, like, icy tree with buildings in the background. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. 
So anyway, you know, so go back. So she she said she was going to be a corrections officer. And so she became a corrections officer overseeing inmates on death row wow. in Clark. Yeah. And then she says, Mom, I, I can't do it no more. And I said, but you did it. It's one thing to say, I think I want to do this, but I don't know. But it's the one thing to say, I'm going to do this and then do it. And then that's what, what makes it powerful. And then she wanted to get out of it? She wanted to get out of it because um she had saw some things. Of you course. Know. Hell yeah. She ended up, the husband was going to get stationed, I think, out of the country. And so they had, uh, she had asked me, which I was very honored, to go pick up my granddaughter and bring her home while they were going to transport all the cat and the dog and her belongings back here to California. And so that was 2019. And I was super happy to have her home. She didn't come back to me. She went to the aunt's house. And so... I just kind of let it be, but I was, I would still make my visits over there. The aunt's house uh, was about an hour away. And then every weekend she would, she was working at doing hair again. And I told her, if you need me for the weekends, I'm here. And she would call me, mom, can you pick up the baby? Uh, Absolutely. When do you want me to go? And I would literally do that drive. Mm. My husband knew I loved it. I loved doing that drive. Then she'd come on Sundays or Mondays pick her up or stay here and it was just a beautiful time because I was having my daughter back then she tells me mom uh we're getting a divorce but I'm taking up stand-up comedy it's therapy <laughs> you got to come see my show and I said okay great so I, I go and see her show one night and I'm so excited I sit in the front and she hugs me and tight and she gives me a kiss and I give her a kiss and she's like mom I love you I, I'm glad you're here but I need you to sit in the back and I go why she goes because my stuff is really raunchy I can't be on the stage watching my mom in the front looking at me do this and I'm like okay fine yeah. and um she made me proud then she she mentions to me that he came back uh to visit or something rather and you say he you mean her ex-husband her ex-husband yes sorry about that mm-hmm. the ex came back from for a visit or so and then there was an altercation and she lets me know that she had to file a foul restraining order good again and i said okay good yeah but she she would give me bits and pieces of things and so i didn't know what had happened with that restraining order she didn't talk about it the next thing i know is months go by and then she tells me mom he he's taking my granddaughter's father is going to have custody of, of her. And I said, why? Well, because he he has, you know, access to child care and all this and, and that. And I said, no, don't do that. Why would she let go of her daughter like that? I found out that he was coercing her. He was. How so? Like telling her that you're not a good mom, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. You care more about going out with your friends than you do about our daughter you don't even have her in school and he's telling her all these things but he's never taking into account that she was suffering through depression she was for sure well it sounds like it sounds like when her dad was telling her that you didn't love her because you were working and trying to gaslight her into that and then now her husband's telling her this and she's trying to gaslight him to this and she's believing all this stuff that's not even true Yeah. And that's where it just, it became so like, I was starting to see that my daughter was repeating the cycle. For sure. Yeah. I see it outside of looking in. Yeah. And it was scary to see that he, he gets, he, she lets my granddaughter go with him in February, 2020. 
few months later, she's packing up her things and letting me know that she's going to move to Texas and co-parent with him. And I didn't want her to, but she was an adult. Yeah. She, she was an adult and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I can say what I felt, but at the end of the day, she was an adult. I think my daughter was confused. I, I can't speak for her. I, I don't know. And, um, so she let him go. She let my granddaughter go with him in, in February, uh, 2020. Like I, again, I said, she goes out there to co-parent with him. I had seen her November, 2020. She had taken a greyhound here with my granddaughter and, uh, that that opportunity I had to take Christmas pictures and and with them and they stayed at my house and I told her come back home and and I said I just really want you home and she says I don't know mom you know your apartment's really small and I'm like I know but we can you know we're working on buying a house and um she took the gray home back and then she calls me in May and she tells me that mommy, she goes, he said, I hope you die. And um, she goes that he, that I should kill myself. And I said, that's really horrible. That's that's really evil. And that's messed up. I go, you need to come home. She says, I can't because he has the baby. And I said, OK, I said, you can file for an attorney or, or go to legal aid and, and do however. And she says, I don't know. I gave her all these options and um, I, I discovered that she didn't do any of them. So she she comes back and the last time I, I saw her was in May, in May of May of 2021. And she had came down, but this time she didn't stay at my house. She had stayed with the at the aunt's house, and but she had a new boyfriend. And so we, we met the new boyfriend. We had met her at, at an aquarium. She had called me the day before. And at this time, our, our relationship was just a little like strained because she, she wanted coming to you over her divorce and stuff. Why was your relationship strained? Because what had happened in, in the conversations was she would tell me, you know, things and I would give her options of, well, you know, get legal aid, do this. You're not helping me. And I said, I, I'm helping no, you. No, let me, let me stop you. See what people do is when you give them advice that they know that they should take, and then they don't take that advice, they feel bad enough about it. And so what they do, cause I know I do this. I even do this is that if I'm not going to take somebody's advice, when I know that I should, I go and I lash out at them because I feel like shitty about myself. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, I'm like, no, I know I should do this, but I don't know whether it's depression or whether it's just, just so many loopholes in my logic that I get to a point. It's just like, you're making me feel bad that I'm not taking the advice, you know? I think that's what happened with her. I think that's what happened with her because I would give her, this is what you should do. This is what I, you know, I think would be best for you. But I think honestly, it was at the end of the day, what tainted our relationship was all those things that were said to her by the aunt and the dad and you know all of them that it, and the dad's it, girlfriend right dad's girlfriend and all of them i think at that time she wanted to trust me she wholeheartedly did but then all of that played in the head like how am i supposed to trust my mom if they you know if they told me that she doesn't love me and i think that that kind of confused her her thought process 
at the end of the day when all I wanted was for her. All I wanted was for her to be thriving and I wanted her to have the best life ever. Right. Now she is my, the ex-son-in-law. He has now custody of my granddaughter and she leaves him. She leaves my granddaughter in his care in August and she left Texas, leaves him. He's now out of the army. He got out of the army of May of 2021. And so she leaves my granddaughter in his care with now his new girlfriend who's expecting. She got pregnant while he was still married to my daughter. And so she leaves my granddaughter with this woman who has um, previous children and this one on the way with him. And they then my daughter leaves to Washington. And she's there from August until uh, December. Back with her father. Back with her father mm-hmm. in the in the same area. She essentially the day that she she ended up um, freaking out because she was going to actually have her first visit with my granddaughter in 11 days. I had just had my granddaughter that weekend um, because on December 5th was my birthday, two days before December 5th was my birthday. He allowed me permission to have my granddaughter for that weekend. And so she was at our house. My daughter called me on video to wish me a happy birthday. I saw her. She looked sad. I told her, you know, come home. She's like, I don't know. And um, she spoke with my granddaughter. And um, then I we were still unpacking because we had just moved into this apartment. December 7th, I was out of town for work. I get a phone call. Um, not from her father, from her father's cousin, who my daughter was living with, um, that my daughter was gone. And um, it really messed me up. Um, of course. I I was in front of a hotel. We were, me and my coworkers were waiting to go have dinner together. And um, I had just got through getting on the phone, uh, getting off the phone with my granddaughter because she was super excited to see mommy. And um, I found out um, first I got the death certificate. I was devastated. I'm not going to lie. I I just felt it felt so dark. Um, I, I didn't. I up until then, I felt like life was so like it had its ups and downs. But I felt like God had left me at that moment. Here I was, I walked outside the hotel and I just fell to the floor. And I, all I know is my coworkers were all around me. Um, and my daughter was there in in Washington and I couldn't get to her fast enough. So I ended up, I ended up uh, finding out that the aunt that lived here in California, she took a red eye over there. and. Um, then I find out a day later um, from my friend that I had to call this mortuary um, because they were trying to uh, do my daughter's funeral services without getting me involved. Oh my and I and I call the the mortuary and then they asked me, well, who is this woman? I said, that's not her mother. That's her aunt. And she replied on the phone. Oh, this changes everything. Yeah. And um, I said, it does. So in that time, 
I ended up, you know, telling them, no, I want my daughter back in California. The aunt was promising that she was going to give me her things and, and bring me the dog, my daughter's dog, um, who was the only thing that she had at the end of her her divorce. That that dog that she adopted, she found and adopted um, from when she lived on, on the base. Uh, was with her to the very end. I got my daughter's death certificate first before I got the, the sheriff's report. And on the my daughter's death certificate, it says that she hung herself with a dog leash. Oh, my God. That's and, so sad. And I'm like, okay. Then I find out from a mutual acquaintance that he, that my daughter's father, had told her her that night that she relayed the 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 conversation to me um what had happened was he was my daughter's last phone call my daughter was freaking out because she wanted her living space her apartment that she was sharing with her cousin to be great but her cousin had three cats and there was it smelled like cat litter and there was hair all over the place and she she didn't think it was good enough, you know, for my granddaughter to come and stay because her ex and the new girlfriend were going to bring my granddaughter. So she called her father, who she had previously lived with. But they, the reason why she moved out of her father's house is because his dog got into a fight with her dog, the dog that she adopted and and the base from when she lived in on the base in the army. So she calls him and she says, Daddy, can I please come stay with you? And he says, you can, but not your fucking dog. Oh, my God. You can, but not your fucking dog. She hung herself with her dog's leash. She hung herself and she, because he could have made a difference. I think, I don't know. That's awful. That's awful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I tell people <laughs> that as a mom, you want to save your kids. You would take a bullet for them as a parent. Um, I could, I could only help my baby as much as my arm can reach. I can only, but once my arm couldn't reach so far, I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't save her. I'm so sorry. Well, the reason that we're doing this interview right now is because um, this is the one-year anniversary of her passing. Uh, today is December 7th, and I don't know when you're going to be listening to this for anybody who's listening to it, but um, we wanted to do this episode uh, sort of as a um, commemoration, I guess, of sorts, to tell her story um, in order to kind of get the story out there and um, so that people know that you leave behind a lot of hurt and uh, you know, this is a woman who's grieving on the one year anniversary of, of her daughter's passing. But um, I don't know. I don't really have any words right now. This is the first time on this podcast I've ever been speechless. So earlier today, Patty, can you tell us a little bit about the vigil that you had for her? 
my earlier today we we gathered together family and friends to release a dozen uh butterflies to commemorate for one month each that she's been in heaven she was an amazing girl she loved life she loved to make people happy she loved comedy she loved punk rock yeah she loved punk rock she loved comedy um she was just i mean my baby i told her we were like the mexican version of the gilmore girls (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm so sorry for obviously what you've gone through i'm sure this last year has been really rough on you and um you know i'm glad that you know you're able to use this platform you know kind of to show people that this is the effect that being with narcissists have on you you know like this is this is the effect of what the mental health epidemic is in this country and in this world and um yeah I'm, I'm just so sorry thank you it's 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 a lot i'm still learning mm-hmm. i'm still learning um i've i've uh networked with nami um mm-hmm. sharing my daughter's story um you know the american foundation of suicide prevention uh, we've participated in walks um, in her memory. Um, one on October 22nd in Santa Monica. We 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 were there, my family and my children and my husband and I. You know, we're we're advocating for my daughter. We're we're not. Her life was so beautiful that it doesn't need to stop on December 7th, 2021. Her life was so beautiful that she, her story needs to be told. Yeah. And if it could help others, that would, that would make it also sweet. Yeah. Well, for anybody listening to this, um, if you dial on your phone 988, it's the suicide um, and crisis lifeline. And I'd like to let everybody know you can dial on your phone just 988 this is a hotline for suicide prevention and um if you're listening to this we all believe you we're all here for you we all care about you um and i would rather i I posted something on instagram recently that i would rather listen to your story than hear about your passing so if anybody here is going through this um again find somebody who'll listen if you want to dial 988 on your phone it is a suicide prevention hotline patty thank you for doing this episode with us i'm really sorry for what you've gone through but you do show a tremendous amount of strength by telling the story um and you have a friend in me if i can do anything for you if i can be here for you if i can listen to you anything i can do for you um you know i'm a big advocate for mental health you know and um i'm sure you are too so you have a friend in me thank you so much thank you for having me no problem all right everybody until next time